Welcome to the Nation's Church Podcast. We hope this message blesses you. Today I want to take you to an account in Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15 is a very unique chapter. If you've ever read the Bible, I want to encourage you to go to Luke chapter 15. Luke 15 accounts for three parables or stories that are kind of back to back that Jesus tells to convey the heart of the Father towards humanity. And uh, these parables are stories that effectively convey a profound truth in a relatable or accessible way. And the Gospels were a time, obviously, when not everyone was literate like probably now, you know, everyone in this room and everyone watching online, most of you would be able to read and write. But in the first century, when Jesus told these parables, a lot of people were not literate. And so there was the oral tradition. It, it was the way of, uh, of, of conveying truth to large groups of people in a way that was accessible, that could fire up their imagination. And I want you to note that in Luke chapter 15, this um, account of these three parables the intended audience was the Pharisees. The Pharisees were these religious men that were grumbling and complaining at the time that Jesus was having meals with sinners and tax collectors and what they would consider unsavory people to the religious group and, and you know, people that, that religious people ordinarily wouldn't associate with. And so this chapter, in Luke chapter 15, these parables were actually a response that Jesus made to these complaints by these religious leaders. The first was the parable of the lost sheep. The second was the parable of the lost coin. And the third was the parable of the lost son. And we haven't got time to read the whole thing, read the whole chapter. I highly recommend you do that in your own time. And I have myself preached out of Luke chapter 15 a lot through the years. But today I want us to, I want us to go down a familiar path and look at new things. Is that okay? Who's ready for the Word of God today? Come on, give Kaylin a big, a big hand. Thank you so much for covering me. The third parable here in Luke chapter 15, Jesus begins to tell about a father that has two sons. And he tells of how the younger son comes up to the father one day and says, Dad, I want my inheritance now. Some of you already know where I'm going with this. A lot of you might not. And he says, Dad, I want to take an early inheritance from you. Now, in Jewish culture at the day, it was as shocking as someone, as a son saying to the father, I wish you were dead so I can have the money now. That will be shocking in today's day. Come on. But it was shocking in, in, in that era particularly. And, and this young son had the, had the audacity to ask the father for an early inheritance. It was incredibly dis dishonoring. And to make matters even more shocking, Jesus tells this parable in a way that um, unfolds uh, in a way that I guess disturbed the religious hearers of the day because he says that the father doesn't chastise the son but gives the son everything the son asks for and the son goes and spends that inheritance, that early inheritance on wild prodigal living on all of the vices you can think of. He blows completely all of that money. The day comes when he's completely bankrupt and he's broke. He finds himself eating out of a pig's trough. The Bible says he comes to his senses and he realizes that his life that he's chosen to live outside of the father's house was not everything it cracked up to be. And so he begins the journey back to the father's house. On the way back to his father's house, the Bible says, Jesus, the way Jesus tells it, he thinks to himself, uh, the only way that I could come back and earn my place back in my father's house as his son is if I ask dad to treat me as a servant so I can earn my way back into the father's house. Now we're gonna pick up the account of Luke chapter 15. And, I, and, and when you read parables, I want you to immerse yourself in the story. The, the gospels are full of, of, of real life accounts. And when you read the Bible, I want to encourage you, immerse yourself in the story. How many of you are ready to immerse yourself in the story today? 
All right, let's read it. Luke 15, verse 20. It says this, The young son got up and went to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. This is particularly shocking because of what the son did. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy, important understanding, no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Verse 25, Meanwhile, the older son who was in the field, when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So we called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him, but he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours but we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again he was lost and is found can we give jesus a big shout of praise for an incredible text so much going on here today i want to speak to you on the thought by the father's side by the Father's side. That will make sense to you as I begin to unpack this whole account uh, more through my message today. But the obvious central character in Luke chapter 15 here in this third parable is the son who was lost from the father but returned. The prodigal son and his return to the father's house is a vital understanding for every believer that you don't have to earn your place back in the father's house. Come on, somebody. It's because of what Jesus has done for you that has qualified you to be in the Father's house and in the Father's love. And, and I often think that this particular doctrine, this understanding was what has been typically a stumbling block for so many people to come to faith in Jesus because we have a propensity to think about our lives that we're not worthy of God's love. Come on that maybe we're too far gone, that maybe because of what we've done, there is no way that God could possibly love us and accept us. And the great lie of the enemy is that you are too far gone or you have too much ground to make up. So don't bother. It's not worth it. So stay lost or in your lost state. I'm here to tell you today that the grace of God abounds to you. Come on, somebody. That you don't need to earn your place in the Father's heart and in the Father's house. And this is exactly what the religious leaders were thinking in the day. What was particularly shocking to them is because they expected the way Jesus to tell the story was that the father would make the son, this youngest son, earn his way back into the father's house because that's how they thought. That was their only grid. But the Bible says that Jesus, the way Jesus told it was that while the son was still a long way off, in other words, he turned back and started walking down the driveway in our modern vernacular. 
The father sees the son coming up the top of the driveway and he runs to the son and begins to throw a robe over his shoulder, signifying covering once again. Begins to put a ring on his finger to signify that we're back in covenant again. Putting sandals on his feet to signify that son, when you come back to my house, you'll have dignity again. I want to suggest to you today that you don't have to earn everything that the father has for you because he's already prepared it for you through Jesus Christ. Somebody say amen. The father runs to the son. You've got to remember that this account in Luke 15, this third parable, its intended audience was not to lost people. Its intended audience was to the Pharisees. Are you catching this? Even though if you are yet to discover the beautiful grace of Jesus Christ, the beautiful grace of the Heavenly Father. Luke chapter 15 is an incredible account to shape your understanding of God with. But you've got to understand that Luke 15 was not aimed at people that were far from God. It was aimed at the religious hearer. So can I suggest to you that maybe this is the genius of Jesus, that Jesus was actually telling this parable to people that spent years studying Scripture, most of their waking hours debating theology in the hallowed sanctuaries of the synagogues. The genius of Jesus was not so much that the, this obvious central character of the prodigal son was returning home and the love of the father was showed. The genius of Jesus was to insert the third character into this account, the character of the older son. This parable accounts for an older brother who comes back from the field and he was outraged at the fact that the younger brother was treated in such a lavish manner by the father. See, the older brother represented this voice that always says, you deserve to get what you deserve to get. The older brother's voice says that because I've done good, I deserve more love from God than you who's done bad. But how many of you know that the gospel flips that script completely and rattles the cages of every religious mindset to tell you today that from the vilest of sinners to the practice of saints, we are all equal at the foot of the cross. And so this understanding begins to shock the religious hearer because I think this was what Jesus was trying to convey. Your English Bible would have on the top of Luke chapter 15 on that third parable, a heading that was never in the original manuscript that says the parable of the lost son. It was the English translator's best way of trying to help you divide the three parables together. But can I suggest to you that even though the English translators call this parable the parable of the lost son, I would suggest to you that Jesus intended for it to be the parable of the lost sons. Because it is quite possible for you to be lost outside of the house of God as it is for you to be lost inside of the house of God. It's quite possible for you to be inside of the Father's house but have no idea about the Father's heart. And this account in Luke chapter 15 doesn't just account for one lost son. It accounts for two lost sons. The obvious one was obviously the son that squanders his father's inheritance on prodigal living. Messes his life up, comes to his senses and returns to the father's house. That's the obvious central character. But can I suggest to you today that it is possible for people to be in the father's house and be just as lost. Here's the thing that was the most jarring to the religious leaders of the day. And I think this was Jesus' subtle nuanced point in Luke 15. The father was waiting 
at the door of the house for the younger son to return. And every day he would have stood at the door. Is this the day that my young boy would come back? Is this the day that my younger son would come back? And instead of being by the father's side, the older brother was out in the field. And when he comes back, he is outraged that the father would lavish the robe, the ring and the sandals on the younger son when all the while he should have been by the father's side. Can I ask you today, church, are you in the house of God, but not by the Father's side? Because I tell you now, when the community comes into the house of God, we better be found standing by the Father's side, not judging them for the lifestyle they've chosen to live. When I think about the posture of the church, maybe this is what Jesus was trying to preach about. Maybe this was the cautionary note for people that might find themselves in the Father's house because if you've been in the Father's house long enough, you can start to enjoy everything that the Father's house gives you and still never having the Father's heart. As believers, I believe that it is our mandate to not just be in the Father's house, but to be by the Father's side when the community comes into the Father's house. Come on, somebody, give Jesus a big shout of praise. There have been seasons in my own life when I have not found myself by the Father's side. I've enjoyed all of the things pertaining to the Father's house. I've got caught up in Father's house things that I've forgotten about the Father's heart. I've been so caught up in Father's house activities that I've actually forgotten that my place is to stand by my Father's side at the door waiting for the harvest. Come on, somebody. And so I've got some signs that I've identified in my own life when I've not been standing by the Father's side. Can I go through some of these signs with you? Here's, my, here's the first sign of me not standing by the Father's side. I'm more concerned about getting from the Father's house than I am about sharing the Father's love. Have you ever been in a season in your life where you, all you've thought about is getting from the Father's house rather than sharing the Father's love? Can I caution you today? This is an absolute trap because your Christian faith is not, the goal of the Christian faith is not to get more out of the church. Oh, getting real quiet now. Somebody going, what? What do you mean? I came here today to get something out of this. The goal of the Christian faith is not to go from church to church to get more out of the church. Come on, the goal of the Christian faith is to stand by the Father's side. Because if you have a mindset to simply get more out of the Father's house, it's both unsustainable and insatiable. It's an appetite that can never be satiated. I've come today to see how you can impress me, preacher. I've come today to see how nice the coffee is in church. I've come today to see the quality of the kids' church. I've come to check out your church. We come to see what we can get out and it will never be satisfied. It will end up going from house to house with that insatiable appetite to simply get more out of it. And you know what? It's not just insatiable. It's unsustainable because a day will come where you will be disillusioned that the church cannot meet your expectations. You can only ever be disillusioned if you're first under an illusion. And the illusion is that your Christianity is about getting more out of the Father's house. Can I suggest to you today, it's not about getting more out of the Father's house, it's about sharing the Father's love. I'm preaching good today. You guys aren't appreciating this. Come on now. In an account in Scripture, Jesus goes to the synagogue and He begins to flip tables. It's in all four, all four Gospels. When he, when he appears... At this temple in Jerusalem, he discovers an attitude that has seeped in to the worshippers of the day that started putting tables out with money exchange and, and, and currency exchange businesses and, and, and the selling of doves and goats and, and, and sheep and all of that sort of stuff. There's, 
And when he gets there, he begins to flip these tables of money changers and flip these tables of of sellers, of merchandise, of, of sheep and goats. And what had happened was that people would come ordinarily to, to this place in Jerusalem, this temple in Jerusalem from all over the place. And they would come at a great cost. Worship was intentional. It'd come at a great cost. They'd have to bring the right change for their tithe. They'd have to bring the unblemished animal and, and think about how they could retain this dove or this, this pigeon or this, or this sheep or, the, or this lamb or whatever in an unblemished manner. So by the time they got to Jerusalem, they could hand it to the priest and they, he could offer it as sacrifice. These guys decided, let's make worship convenient so that people wouldn't have to think about coming how they came to worship, they can just come and throw a few coins on, uh, on the table and, and, and get the change that they needed and buy a couple of doves and, and hand it to the priest and, and just get the little blessing from the priest and go. Jesus began to flip tables in the temple, not because he was offended at tables, but because he was offended or angered or wanted to show a prophetic declaration that the house of God was not for believers to come and get more out of. Do you understand that? And then he begins to say, do not turn my father's house into a den of thieves. That phrase doesn't make sense in our vernacular because there was nothing that was going on in the temple that was illegal under Roman rule. Selling of doves and pigeons and currency exchange was completely legal in the synagogue. So what was Jesus talking about? Do not turn my father's house into a den of thieves. A better translation would be this. Do not turn my father's house into a den of takers. Where you come to the father's house to take rather than to give. And then the disciples all remembered, zeal for your house has consumed me. It's time for us to get rid of the mindset that we've come to the Father's house to get more from it. We as believers come to the Father's house to share the love of God once we leave from here. Come on, somebody shout amen. Amen. Second sign that I'm not standing by the Father's side is this. I'm more concerned about how the Father's house affects me than I am concerned about how the Father's house affects the lost. Come on, somebody. This was exactly the concern of the older son. He was far more, he was concerned about, if you you kill the fatted calf, there's not going to be enough for me. If you throw the party for my brother, there's not going to be enough enough party food for me. If you have enough resource and time and energy and focus on people in the community, you won't have enough for me. Come on, somebody. When we start being more concerned about how the Father's house affects us than whether the Father's house is effective on the loss, we've lost the plot. Four of you agree, come on. It's time for the church to be standing by the Father's side and you gotta hear me right today. The church absolutely should be comforting Christians, but that is not our main priority. Our main priority is the Great Commission. And sometimes I think we confuse the Great Commission to make it the Great Acquiescence, where you need to do for me what I want you to do for me, church. And okay, uh, do you like the temperature that way? Or do you like the lighting that way? And we act, it's not the Great Acquiescence, it's the Great Commission. Come on, somebody. God has called us to stand by the Father's side. And might I remind us that this isn't for us. This is for us to be empowered. This is for us to encounter Jesus, absolutely. But this isn't for us. We've always had the heart of God in the house of God. So my suggestion to you today, don't just be in the Father's house, have the Father's heart. And where does the Father want you? He wants you by His side, waiting for the lost to come home. Somebody give Jesus a big shout of praise. The 
third sign that I'm not standing by the Father's side is that I'm more concerned about how I'm treated in the Father's house than how those that aren't in the Father's house are treated. Sometimes, have you ever wondered why guests that come for baby dedications, guests that come for for water baptisms, get the VIP treatment, they get like catered food, and you get the Arnott's biscuits. (laughs) What? Have you ever wondered why so many of our leaders in the foyer, if you've been part of this house for a while, they'll ignore you to talk to somebody with a black bag. Why? Because we're more concerned, come on somebody, about how those that aren't yet in the father's house are treated. This was the heart of the father. And he said to the older son, son, why? What, what, what's going on? Why are you outraged? Everything I have is yours. You have full access to all of this. Your younger brother, he's been lost, but now he's found. He's been eaten with the pigs. Do you understand how lost he's been? He has not had access to everything you've had access to all this time. You need not be insecure nor worried. Everything that you need is already here. You're already here, but come on, would you stand by my side and not don't just be in my house, but have my heart today. There's a whole community that needs to know what Jesus Christ is all about. Come on, somebody. He says, my son, you are always with me and everything I have is yours, but we had to celebrate. We had to. We were compelled to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now is found. No sweeter words for the heavenly father to utter. Then you were lost, but now you're found. Son, daughter, you were lost, but now you're found. Sometimes we think that God is actually a Christian complaints department, but he's not. His entire heart is orientated towards the harvest. His entire heart is orientated toward the people that don't know Him yet. And I think the church needs to begin to reawaken again that this is not necessarily about us, but it's about them. Come on, somebody. Luke chapter 14 is another parable that Jesus tells, again, to reveal the heart of the Father. You guys okay with this? I know this is for mature ears only, okay? But hopefully we can grow through this. Is that that okay? Luke chapter 14 accounts for another parable that Jesus tells. And he tells of how the master, symbolizing the father, sets out a banqueting table. Now, in Jewish culture, banquets were held and no expense was spared. And they were usually for special occasions like weddings, special, special occasions. And the master of the house, the expectation was that they would spare no expense to put on a banqueting table. They would literally empty out their bank account to put on a banqueting table. And the expectation was that everyone was allowed to come. And, and here's the thing, the mentality of the master of a house that puts on the banqueting table is that there will never be, they will never put the we are full sign up. In other words, everyone can come, and that's hence, you, you understand the wedding uh, at Cana in Galilee where they ran out of wine, go and get, we're stressed out because everyone can come. We, we can never run out of food. That's, that's, the, that's the, the sentiment. Makes sense to you. It symbolizes the banqueting table that was prepared at great cost by the Heavenly Father. And the banqueting table is the banqueting table of salvation. And it's for everyone. And everyone can come. And there is room for everybody. And no one is excluded. You follow me so far? The master begins to send out the servants, say, I want you to send, to join, invite as many people as possible and as they begin to invite people to come some people said oh I can't come because I've just married a wife another person said I can't come because I've just bought some cows another person said notice how it's it's not the other way around okay 
They didn't marry cows and bought a wife. Um, another person said, I've just bought a block in Baldivis, I can't come. And all of these excuses. And so the master sends the servants out again to go and get the maimed, the lame, the blind. And, and once they did that, it was all completely done. And, and the master said this, we're going to pick up the account in Luke 14, verse 21. The servants came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be filled. The father's house, the father's heart. His desire is that it's not empty, but full. It's full of people. And when it's full, we make more room. Can I remind you that at Nations Church, we started in one service, in an empty community center. But we didn't just, the handful of us that started the church didn't just stand around basking in the glory of being in the Father's house. We stood by the Father's side. And we opened the doors and said, everyone's welcome. Regardless of the darkness of your past or the color of your skin, everyone's welcome. And through the years, those single services began to be filled and it began to be double services. And then we moved to larger buildings and single locations became multiple locations. And today we're here and there's six locations in Western Australia, 11 services all up, but that is not where it stops for us. We've got a service in Cork and two in Phnom Penh, but that's not where it stops for us. Because if I know the Father's heart, there is always room for more. I'm asking you today, Nation Church, are you ready to never stop being by the Father's side? We can never have the mentality that, oh, this service is full. I think we all can just now start commenting about the coffee. It's time for us to reawaken again, to come back to stand by the Father's side. And maybe we should hold one side of the robe as dad puts the robe on the other side of our brother. Come on. Maybe we should be helping him with the shoes and putting a sandal on the other leg of the brother. Come on, somebody. Maybe we should be carrying the ring on behalf of dad as we run to, it's, it's time for the church to reawaken again on what the Great Commission looks like. I don't want to be found ever in the Father's house, but not ever having the Father's heart. See, you never quite know, you never quite know what standing by the Father's side could look like by way of impact. You just never know. You never know what you sharing Jesus, you sharing your faith to someone could do in the years ahead. You never know what kind of fruit, the seed that you sow could ever become. When I was a young accountant, um, I worked for five years for this engineering firm. And in the last couple of years of working for this engineering firm as a, in, in their in, a finance team, um, there was one manager that started working there. He was very senior, uh, and he was very good at what he did. He was in charge of a pretty significant division within the engineering firm. And uh, he, he, he was one of these guys. I don't know if you worked in a workplace, and you have one of these people that no one likes. <laughs> and, uh, he, well, he was, he was one of these guys. And um, he, he, for some reason, took an interest in wanting to have conversations with me. And um, he would wait for me at least a couple of times a week for about a nine-month period there. He would wait for me at least a couple of times a week for me to pack my desk up and he would come and stick his head in and goes, Take me home every day. He, he, he realized that I was living five minutes away from his house and he made me, he jumped in my car and made me, he didn't ask, he made me drive him home. <laughs> Bit of a power imbalance. I could have complained to HR, but I didn't. Um, 
And uh, he found out I was a Christian. And um, for those nine months in the car rides home, he would pepper me with these really pointed, what do you believe? Why do you believe that? What about this? What about human suffering? If God is, he would just pepper me with all of these questions. And, and, and week after week, I, I, would, I would love to say to you that in those months I was saying, God, just give me a word for him. Lord, I just want to prophetically just be able to reach out to him. I was praying the opposite. God, please don't let him show up at my cubicle today. Because you know how you're at the end of the day and you just want to go home? Do you know what I'm talking about? Like, I just, wanted, I just wanted to clock off and go home. The last thing I wanted to do was to have him right in the front seat of my car asking me Christian questions. Very few of us feel very Christian at 5.30 in the evening after work, right? Some of you don't even feel Christian until 10 a.m. in the morning after you've had three coffees. Let's be honest. I don't feel particularly Christian. And he would pepper me with these questions and, and actually came towards the end of the year 2000 and I, um, it was towards the end of the nine months, I actually handed my resignation in to, um, to the company because I was going to be full-time in ministry. I just accepted a role at the church I was at to become a creative pastor. And, and, uh, and so it was my final, it was a Friday and it was my last day at work and there was a little morning tea in the boardroom and, and I shared where I was going to, what my faith was about. I had like a five-minute little thing and, and so I, I, you know, I just just shared about my faith and, and why I felt that I was called to do this. And, and um, this particular manager was actually in the room and uh, we, finally, we said our goodbye. And, and after I'd left the company, I hadn't heard from him. And uh, that, was, that was really the end of, of any kind of conversations I ever had with him. And uh, I was worship leading one, one day in the church service of the church that I was now full-time uh, on staff at. And it was like probably about maybe six or seven months into my role there. So it was maybe about, yeah, you know, seven, eight months um, after I lost touch with him, I was in the middle of just, just welcoming the church. Good morning, church. Why don't you stand at your feet? Cracking into the first note. And who do I see walking in through the back doors? It was him and his wife. I had no idea. All along, he never told me that he had a Christian wife. I only find all this out later, right? That he had a Christian wife. And, and this, I'm telling you the story because I know the end outcome. But he was one of those men that have these Christian wives that pray for him. And all those months, he wanted to know what I believe because he just couldn't accept what she, she was preaching to him every day. Didn't want to know about it. He just wanted a different perspective. Cut a long story short, after a couple of months, I'm like leading the altar call. My pastor was preaching and, and he put his hand up. He, he became radically, he, he gave his life to Jesus, right? Amazing story. So this was about 2001, 2002, and, um, and him and his wife then go on and, and they, they, do, they serve in the house of God. They do things like they, they serve in marriage ministries together, mentoring young couples. Amazing what, what God did for them. I um, planted our church in 2004. So I was probably in the same church with him probably two and a half years. And in 2004, we left that church, planted Nations Church. And for some years, I hadn't heard from him, hadn't heard anything about how they're going. The last time I heard about him was when I got the news that he tragically passed away in a car accident. I think about him a lot, and I think about me a lot. I think about the way that I was not by, I was in the father's house, but I wasn't so keen to be by my father's side in all those car rides. I could have, and, and, and the thoughts, I, I don't live with too much regret, but if there's any time where I do think about the sense of regret was what if I led him to the Lord earlier? What if I was more bold in sharing my testimony? What if I 
What if I earned him at least just two, three, four more years with his wife serving Jesus? What if I was less caught up in activity in the Father's house and had more of the Father's heart for him? I don't See, I don't live with too much regret, but it's a reminder to us that this time on the earth is the only window of time that every human being that's to, gets to confess Jesus on this side of eternity that have eternal ramifications for them. I don't know what you're thinking about what you're meant to be doing here on the earth, but if you're here on the house of God, you better be having the Father's heart as well because we just don't know how urgent the harvest is. We don't know on this side of eternity. And I don't, I don't know what, what lies ahead for the community around us, but I want to be part of a church that's found not just being busy in the Father's house, but right there standing next to Dad, having the Father's heart. Yes. Now I understand what Paul was saying in the book of Romans chapter 10 when he says this, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Do you believe that? And then Paul asked some very pointed questions to the church in Rome. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Wow. How can they call on the one that they have not yet believed in? How can they? How can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? How can they hear without someone preaching to them? You know, sometimes as a Christian, we just really just wish that Jesus would appear to everyone like a wonderful, mystical, spiritual apparition. That'd be amazing. And we do see that sometimes. The Lord does appear to people. But they're more the exceptions than the norm. For some strange reason, he sees a harvest field and he invites the church to labor with him. I don't know where your heart is at today. But I think sometimes we enjoy the Father's house so much and don't have the Father's heart is because we forget and take for granted just how good the Father's house is and just how wonderful the Father's heart is toward us. And we forget that what we have is not just for us, but for everyone that doesn't know Him. Can we give Jesus a big shout of praise? Is it helpful to you? Musicians, you can join me. Thanks for listening to the Nations Church podcast. For more info, please visit nationschurch.com. Thank you.